0: This is chapter forty three of Ruffing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Ruffing It by Mark Twain. Chapter forty three. However, as I grew better acquainted with the business and learned the run of the sources of information, I ceased to require the aid of fancy to any large extent and became able. To fill my columns without diverging noticeably from the domain of fact. I struck up friendships with the reporters of the other journals, and we swapped regulars with each other, and thus economized work. Regulars are permanent sources of news, like courts, bullion returns, clean-ups at the courts' mills, and inquests. "'Inasmuch as everybody went armed, we had an inquest about every day, and so this department was naturally set down among the regulars. We had lively papers in those days. My great competitor among the reporters was Boggs of the Union. He was an excellent reporter. Once in three or four months he would get a little intoxicated, but as a general thing he was a wary and cautious drinker, although always ready to tamper a little with the enemy.' He had the advantage of me in one thing—he could get the monthly public school report and I could not, because the principal hated the enterprise. One snowy night when the report was due I started out, sadly, wondering how I was going to get it. Presently, a few steps up the almost deserted street, I stumbled on Boggs and asked him where he was going. "'After the school report.' "'I'll go along with you.' "'No, sir.' "'I'll excuse you. Just as you say.' A saloon-keeper's boy passed by with a steaming pitcher of hot punch, and Boggs snuffed the fragrance gratefully. He gazed fondly after the boy and saw him start up the Enterprise stairs. I said, "'I wish you could help me get that school business, but since you can't, I must run up to the union office and see if I can get them to let me have a proof of it after they have it set up, though I don't begin to suppose they will. Good night.' "'Hold on a minute. I don't mind getting the report and sitting around with the boys a little while you copy it, if you're willing to drop down to the principals with me. Now you talk like a rational being. Come along.' We ploughed a couple of blocks through the snow, got the report, and returned to our office. It was a short document and soon copied. Meantime Boggs helped himself to the punch. I gave the manuscript back to him and we started out to get an inquest for we had heard pistol shots nearby we got the particulars with little loss of time for it was only an inferior sort of barroom murder and of little interest to the public and then we separated away at three o'clock in the morning when we had gone to press and were having a relaxing concert as usual for some of the printers were good singers, and others good performers on the guitar, and on that atrocity the accordion. The proprietor of the union strode in, and desired to know if anybody had heard anything of Boggs or the school report. We stated the case, and all turned out to help hunt for the delinquent. We found him standing on a table in a saloon, with an old tin lantern in one hand, and a school report in the other haranguing a gang of intoxicated Cornish miners on the iniquity of squandering the public moneys on education, when hundreds and hundreds of honest, hard-working men are literally starving for whiskey, Riotous applause. He had been assisting in a regal spree with those parties for hours. We dragged him away and put him to bed. Of course, there was no school report in the union, and Boggs held me accountable though I was innocent of any intention or desire to compass its absence from that paper, and was as sorry as any one that the misfortune had occurred. But we were perfectly friendly. The day that the school report was next due, the proprietor of the Genesee mine furnished us a buggy, and asked us to go down and write something about the property—a very common request, and one always gladly acceded to when people furnished buggies, for we were as fond of pleasure excursions as other people. In due time we arrived at the mine. Nothing but a hole in the ground, ninety feet deep, and no way of getting down into it, but by holding on to a rope and being lowered with a windlass. The workmen had just gone off somewhere to supper. I was not strong enough to lower Boggs' bulk, so I took an unlighted candle in my teeth, made a loop for my foot in the end of the rope, implored Boggs not to go to sleep or let the windlass get the start of him and then swung out over the shaft. I reached the bottom, muddy and bruised about the elbows, but safe. I lit the candle, made an examination of the rock, selected some specimens, and shouted to Boggs to hoist away. No answer. Presently a head appeared in the circle of daylight, away aloft, and a voice came down. Are you all set? All set. Hoist away. Are you comfortable? Perfectly. Could you— Wait a little?' "'Oh, uh, certainly. Uh, no particular hurry. Well, good "'Why? Where are you going?' "'After the school report.' And he did. I stayed down there an hour, and surprised the workmen when they hauled up and found a man on the rope instead of a bucket of rock. I walked home, too, five miles, uphill. We had no school report next morning, but the union had. Six months after my entry into journalism, the grand flush times of Silverland began, and they continued with unabated splendor for three years. All difficulty about filling up the local department ceased, and the only trouble now was how to make the lengthened columns hold the world of incidents and happenings that came to our literary net every day. Virginia had grown to the livest town. Or its age and population, that America had ever produced. The sidewalks swarmed with people, to such an extent, indeed, that it was generally no easy matter to stem the human tide. The streets themselves were just as crowded with quartz wagons, freight teams, and other vehicles. The procession was endless. So great was the pack, that buggies frequently had to wait half an hour for an opportunity to cross the principal street. Joy sat on every countenance, and there was a glad, almost fierce intensity in every eye that told of the money-getting schemes that were seething in every brain, and the high hope that held sway in every heart. Money was as plenty as dust—every individual considered himself wealthy—and a melancholy countenance was nowhere to be seen. There were military companies, fire companies, brass bands, banks, hotels. Theatres hurdy-gurdy houses wide-open gambling palaces political pow-wows civic processions street fights murders inquests riots a whiskey mill every fifteen steps a board of aldermen a mayor a city surveyor a city engineer a chief of the fire department with first second and third assistants a chief of police city marshal and a large police force two boards of mining brokers a dozen breweries and half a dozen jails and station houses in full operation and some talk of building a church the flush times were in magnificent flower Large fireproof brick buildings were going up in the principal streets, and the wooden suburbs were spreading out in all directions. Town lots soared up to prices that were amazing. The great Comstock lode stretched its opulent length straight through the town from north to south, and every mine on it was in diligent process of development. One of these mines alone employed six hundred and seventy-five men, and in the matter of election, the adage was. As the gould and curry goes, so goes the city. Laboring men's wages were four and six dollars a day, and they worked in three shifts or gangs, and the blasting and picking and shoveling went on, without ceasing, night and day. The city of Virginia roosted royally midway up the steep side of Mount Davidson, 7,200 feet above the level of the sea, and in the clear Nevada atmosphere, was visible from a distance of fifty miles. It claimed a population of 15,000 to 18,000, and all day long half of this little army swarmed the streets like bees, and the other half swarmed among the drifts and tunnels of the Comstock, hundreds of feet down in the earth, directly under those same streets. Often we felt our chairs jar, and heard the faint boom of a blast down in the bowels of the earth under the office. The mountainside was so steep that the entire town had a slant to it like a roof each street was a terrace, and from each to the next street below the descent was forty or fifty feet. The fronts of the houses were level with the street they faced, but their rear first floors were propped on lofty stilts. A man could stand at a rear first-floor window of a C-street house and look down the chimneys of the row of houses below him facing D-street. It was a laborious climb in that thin atmosphere to ascend from D to A Street, and you were panting and out of breath when you got there. But you could turn around and go down again like a house of fire, so to speak. The atmosphere was so rarefied on account of the great altitude that one's blood lay near the surface always, and the scratch of a pin was a disaster worth worrying about, for the chances were that a grievous erysipelas would ensue. But to offset this, the thin atmosphere seemed to carry healing to gunshot wounds, and therefore to simply shoot your adversary through both lungs was a thing not likely to afford you any permanent satisfaction for he would be nearly certain to be around looking for you within the month and not with an opera-glass either from virginia's airy situation one could look over a vast far-reaching panorama of mountain ranges and deserts and whether the day was bright or overcast whether the sun was rising or setting or flaming in the zenith, or whether night and the moon held sway, the spectacle was always impressive and beautiful. Over your head Mount Davidson lifted its grey dome, and before and below you a rugged canyon clove the battlemented hills, making a sombre gateway through which a soft-tinted desert was glimpsed, with a silver thread of a river winding through it, bordered with trees which many miles of distance diminished to a delicate fringe, and still further away the snowy mountains rose up and stretched their long barrier to the filmy horizon, far enough beyond a lake that burned in the desert like a fallen sun, though that, itself, lay fifty miles removed. Look from your window where you would, there was fascination in the picture. At rare intervals, but very rare, there were clouds in our skies, and then the setting sun would gild and flush and glorify this mighty expanse of scenery with a bewildering pomp of color that held the eye like a spell and moved the spirit like music. End of chapter 43